0: This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Marano. Well, is it me, or is Albany a lot less interesting than it used to be? Now, some people say it's because there's one party control controlling everything in state government these days. Some people say it's because we don't have Andrew Cuomo around to kick us anymore. But uh, for my money, it's because a staple of my morning listening is, is no longer there to provide incredible commentary incredible insight and incredible context to the issues that we're seeing in albany on a regular basis he's also someone that i uh, used to read on a regular and then a weekly basis in the pages of the new york post but i am thrilled that after much prodding and cajoling, he has accepted my invitation to appear with us early this morning. Uh, Very, very pleased to welcome a man who has forgotten more about state politics than most of us will ever know in five lifetimes. Veteran journalist, former state editor of and columnist for the New York Post, and a veteran radio talk show host in Albany as well, the one and only Fred Dicker. Fred, thanks so much for joining me on the radio.
1: Hey, good morning, Frank, and thanks for that lovely buildup. Very, very nice of you. And I have to say that I miss hearing you and talking to you. So it's nice to be back together.
0: It's great to have you. It's uh, It's been too long. Hey, do you miss, aside from talking to me, do you miss being on the radio every day uh, to be able to ruminate about whatever it is you want and be able to play kind of interesting folk music that fits in a theme? <laughs> or are you are you glad to not have to focus on some of the things that you found so frustrating about state government regularly?
1: Let me uh, bifurcate that, because the answer is both. I mean, on the one hand, I enjoyed a radio show. You know how satisfying it could be. I enjoyed the audience. I enjoyed uh, relaying what I thought was valuable information to listeners. But on the other hand, the uh, quality of the politicians in Albany and the direction of New York State has become so poor and so grim that I found myself depressing myself when I talked about it on the air. And I'm sure I was depressing many, many listeners. So I missed the first part the contact with the audience and the ability to convey information. But I don't miss the second part, which is describing dealing with the objective realities now in Albany and state government has deteriorated to a point that in my lifetime, certainly in my 40 years covering state government, is at the lowest ebb imaginable. And I see the direction as being very poor. So I don't miss that side of things.
0: Fred, let me begin with the big news of the day. I know that you're a a gun owner, I think maybe even a collector of guns, and certainly on the radio, you're always a very outspoken uh, defender of the Second Amendment. I saw the press conference by the mayor, and he was focusing a great deal on the gun issue on the subway shooting uh, last night. What's your take on the subway shooting in general and the mayor's emphasis on getting guns off the streets?
1: Well, you know, in the mayor, like so many of these Democratic progressives, Frank, just talks about the gun as if the gun's responsible rather than talking about the perpetrator. But you have to get off the streets of the criminals, not legal gun owners. We don't know where this Glock, apparently it was a Glock that was used with a high-capacity magazine. We don't know where it originated. It could have been a stolen gun. could have been uh, some kind of a ghost gun. Uh, we, don't, we just don't know. But to me, the focus should be on the individuals who commit these crimes because it just as easily could have been a bomb. I could have knifed a number of people. It's amazing that nobody so far anyway, thank God, has been killed. 33 shots and no death. But, uh, you know, that said, he shouldn't have had that gun maybe there should have been more cops there on the the subways.
0: Well, it certainly is, uh, you said it, I mean thank goodness this could have been a lot worse than it actually turned out to be. The other big news, uh, and this is right in your ballywick, is the resignation and the arrest of the Lieutenant Governor Brian Benjamin. This has got to be the shortest tenure of any Lieutenant Governor in the history of New York State. I haven't double-checked that. It's just my thinking. In your view, does this reflect a poor job of the vetting process that Governor (laughs) Kathy Hochul did
1: here. <laughs> Absolutely. Frank, this is a disaster for Kathy Hochul. One would have loved to have been a fly on the wall during the day as she tried to, disa- she had to figure out how to get rid of Brian Benjamin. Imagine the people she's been speaking to. But uh, this is going to dog her, not just as a campaign issue, but we know that yesterday, or I should say earlier this week, was the deadline to get Brian Benjamin off her ticket. That deadline passed And then he was criminally charged. So it appears he's going to be on the ballot with her in June for the primary. And they're trying to figure out now if there's any way to get him off. Legally, most people don't think that there is. So it's a huge burden to her. It's a statement about the quality of her vetting, about her judgment, obviously. And As recently as just a day or two ago, even though a lot of these allegations that led to Benjamin's arrest were known, she was still defending him. So she looks very, very bad, and deservedly so. And I'm sure it's hurting her not just with, um, with um, you know, marginal voters, but with her core Democratic voters who have to be wondering should I vote for Kathy Hochul in a primary? Because there are two other people out
0: there, Tom Swazi and Jumaane Williams. I think the only way my reading of the election law is the only way that you, they can get him off the ballot is if he moves out of the state. I'm not sure he's going to volunteer for that uh, right now. If he played
1: guilty if... and was convicted, if he walked into court and said, I'm guilty, he'd be off, I believe. But he's not going to do that. I mean, he could commit suicide or die you know, accidentally. That would be another way. but certainly be not hit from that. Um, so you're right. I mean, there's a possibility that they could put him into a judgeship slot, but apparently the judicial conventions where that would be done aren't until August and the primaries mm. in June. Well, do a possibility, Frank. It could be the legislature could. I mean, the Democrats control Albany could pass a law that might retroactively change the election calendar to let him get off. But after uh. that, which would be extraordinary, I don't see how he gets off.
0: And there's still the court battle over the district lines, which, I mean, I know it's unlikely <laughs> at this point, but that could uh, push the primary back a little bit. Now, yeah. he was charged as part of a, a campaign finance uh, scam, basically, not alleged to have put any money in his own pocket, but doing favors for a developer giving some money, state money, to a developer that then used a whole bunch of straw donors to donate to his uh, candidacy for New York City controller, as you point out, as a now he's still on the ballot. Do you think, as crazy as New York State has been electorally, do you think there's any chance that he still wins this primary? Um,
1: There's a chance. There are two other candidates for lieutenant governor in the primary, and it could very well be. It depends. I mean, you can't imagine a guy who's under criminal indictment is going to be out there campaigning. But there could be an accident that occurs. By the way, the Republicans, of course, Frank, would love that. Do you imagine if Kathy Hochul winds up winning her primary and then <laughs> has as her running mate an the federal field. I mean, uh, just it would be unbelievable.
0: I want to ask you about the uh, governor's race in a little bit. Now, in the meantime, he has resigned. And uh, under the Skelos versus Patterson decision, we now know the governor does have the right to appoint a a lieutenant governor to fill a vacancy. Patterson did it with Dick Ravitch. Hochul did it with Brian Benjamin. Do you think that she'll replace him in the interim or just leave the office vacant?
1: (laughs) I think that she would loot to replace him, but can't because of just the, you know, Exigent circumstance. Or what's happening? The premiere is you know, two minutes away. So I would think, what? She well, no, I was talking about
0: was, as as lieutenant governor, not mean, necessarily she, on the ballot
1: oh, be, before the end of the year. Right. I think it would just be too, too confusing that she would not do it. There's no immediate, obvious uh, person to choose. If there was, that would make a difference. But Frank, I think she would offend more people than she was satisfied if she just grabbed another person, made that person he or she lieutenant governor. And what do you gain with it? You don't need that right now, especially with the vote coming up in November.
0: Uh, that, that's fair. And uh, this is the now we've seen a governor and a lieutenant governor both recently resign in disgrace. And unfortunately, this has become all too regular. We've seen this with Elliot Spitzer. We saw this with the state controller, Alan Hevesy. We've seen this with majority leader of the state Senate after majority leader of the state Senate. We saw it with the Speaker of the State Assembly. Um, in your view, what is it about New York? Why are our politicians so corrupt or at least seemingly so corrupt or uh, why are they so bad at getting away with crimes
1: those are all good questions i think new york politics especially new york city politics is inherently corrupt it's been historically corrupt that politics is seen by a lot of clever individuals as an alternative vehicle for getting rich without having to work in the private sector and they understand if you stay around long enough you can figure out ways for self-aggrandizement both in terms of a monetary benefit and an ego benefit. And uh, ultimately, it's about power as well. But New York just does have a culture of corruption. It goes back to Tammany Hall. It goes back to other machines, the old O'Connell uh, Corning machine in Albany. And it says for the state we suffer as a result. But uh, bottom line is, if you look closely at Albany and at City Hall, both governments are in the hands of special interests Who provide millions upon millions of dollars to individuals uh, in in exchange for corrupt actions. And these people have learned how to game the system. My favorite was Shelley Silver and how he pulled it off, where he used millions of dollars in state money to give a seemingly wonderful grant to a cancer researcher with the understanding that that cancer researcher, I think at Columbia University or NYU, would arrange to have cancer patients who were being helped. Go to mm-hmm. Shelley Silver's law firm, and he would make millions of dollars from bringing those uh, clients to the firm for legal action. I mean, the, you know, there are all kinds of ways to make money off of government, and it's been a system perfected in New York State.
0: I don't think there's a person that knows Andrew Cuomo's brain better than you do. You not only covered him as governor and as attorney general, but you covered his father as well. Uh, Two of the six governors that you have covered throughout your career as as an editor and as a journalist and as a radio talk show host were Cuomo's. A couple of days ago, petitions were due for the primaries, and it looks like Andrew Cuomo didn't file any petitions. A lot of people were predicting he would try to make a comeback, especially once he started doing these speeches, once he started running ads. Knowing Andrew Cuomo as you do and did, did you think that Cuomo would run in the primary against Kathy Hochul?
1: Let me know. This is the, uh, I was thinking about this the other day, uh, Frank. This is the 40th year, 2022, that I've known Andrew Cuomo, or, or the time I first met him. So I followed him very, very closely. I knew him pretty darn well. You may recall that for a while I was writing a biography of him, supposedly, mm-hmm. with his cooperation. So sometimes I would deal with him eight or t- ten times a day. He would call me up over and over again, six o'clock in the morning, eight o'clock at night. To some degree, his father was that way as well a kind of an obsessive side. Well, with that his background, let me just say I'm not surprised at all that he didn't file petitions to run in a Democratic primary, and I don't think he'll file petitions because he still could to try to run as an independent. If there's a pariah politician in New York, if there's someone who's persona non grata, not just with voters, but with his own party and the elite of his party in particular, it's Andrew Cuomo. The guy is political dead meat in my view. He has the baggage that, you know, is heavy enough that would sink him if he tried to run again. He couldn't win. All that said, I personally hope he does run. Run, Andy, run is a call that you hear a lot of times from Republicans. And I think it would be a great thing if he ran because he probably would guarantee the election of a a Republican governor because he still has some base of support based in the sense of There's a hardcore group out there, a lot of African-American voters, I think, are part of this. We've seen this in polls, that will vote for the Cuomo name, kind of like on the Republican side where Andrew Giuliani gets a vote because Mm -hmm. of the Giuliani name. But it would not be enough for him to win. He would be buried by the women's organizations, the Me Too movement. He'd be buried by newspaper editorial writers. He'd be buried by his own party leaders, I mean, among others. Letitia James, the attorney general, is obviously his sworn enemy. She's a popular figure. And for all we know, she's going to bring, or someone's going to bring, additional, or not additional, but first criminal charges against Cuomo. He's still not out of the woods on the nursing home stuff, the favoritism for his family, and maybe most significantly, that $5.1 million Mm. outrageous contract he got for his book. So I don't think there's a chance he's going to run or file petitions to be an independent candidate.
0: Now, Andrew Cuomo is a young man, and uh, as critical as we might be of his tenure as governor, uh, I don't think there's any doubting his his intellect and his talents in certain respects. And you know better than anybody how obsessive he is. I'm sure he spends 18 hours a day plotting <laughs> and thinking about his return to public life. knowing Knowing his psyche, as you do, What do you think Andrew Cuomo will do next, professionally, personally, in life?
1: Well, let me just say your description of him is an accurate one. I mean, he does obsess on politics. He obsesses on whatever the crusade of the moment is. And he obsesses, most importantly, on raising his profile or trying to have a profile. I mean, he he and his brother have brought such humiliation on the Cuomo family I mean, in one sense, he's probably grateful that his father is no longer alive to see what he did to the governorship and to the name of Cuomo in this state. I think, you know, you touched on what he's doing. He's trying kind of like a bull in a china shop, trying to figure out a way, whether it's running these TV commercials, running, I just saw one of his commercials online, trying to figure out a way that he can recoup his reputation and get back into public life because he just feeds off public attention. But I think because of uh, what, what's occurred and what I've described and what we've both talked about, there's not a chance he can do that. So I think he's just going to be out there kind of a tr- almost like a tragic figure. I mean, some people have suggested to me he wind- might wind up shooting himself or something, and I certainly hope nothing like that happens. But short of exiting stage left very quickly, I can't imagine him being center stage ever again in New York or nationally. And as I noted, I think he still has some struggles ahead, some danger for himself mm. in terms of the possibility of a criminal indictment.
0: Can you give the audience any insight? You've known so many politicians and governors over the last four decades. What did it what is it about Andrew Cuomo's personality or his management style, or both, that make him so unique. Uh, because th- I think even rank-and-file New Yorkers who haven't gotten to know politicians uh, up close and personal as you have, and as I have to some extent, th- even they can tell there's something a little different about Andrew Cuomo. From your interactions no. with him and his staff, what it is it that, that is different?
1: Well, I think you're right. I mean, he's a very, very interesting guy, largely because of who his father was. Uh, Mario Cuomo was an extraordinary orator. He was an important national figure. The Democrats celebrated him, and Andrew Cuomo, the son, grew up in his shadow. And he was, interestingly enough, I mean, most people I don't think are aware of this, Frank, he was often the brunt of criticisms by his father, who Mm. considered him, Mario, considered Andrew to be something of a non-intellectual kind of a street guy and his father didn't approve of that and andrew was a guy who wanted to prove himself to his father to his family to get out of the shadow of his father and he's also possessed of you know physical strength he's a imposing guy when you see him i've had people say to me they find him frightening he's articulate he's obviously as you t- touched on very bright but he doesn't have the intellectual element that his father had and he doesn't have the values that his father had a bottom line on Andrew Cuomo within democratic circles was that he's a man of transactional orientation, that there's no core value to him. Everything was a transaction to advance himself, to get notoriety, get attention. And Hey, he was a member of a president's cabinet. He was attorney general of New York. He was twice, twice elected as governor of New York. I mean, three times Uh, he, he does possess qualities of charisma physical strength hard work and uh you know vision people used to say well he plays three-dimensional chess he always has various games going on well he outsmarted himself he was too Mm. cheap by half and he doesn't have just to get back to one point i made and i think it's accurate he doesn't seem to have the core values of a genuine person who leaves people impressed with their qualities, and that's something that his father, Mario Cuomo, did have.
0: If people just tuning in, we're talking with Fred Dicker, a veteran journalist covering uh, Albany and state politics in general for about four decades. You know, I remember when Andrew Cuomo first became governor, he did more radio show interviews with you than he did with every other any other outlet in the state. He seemed he to re- really enjoy coming on with you. seemed to uh, and and you both in your column and on the show seemed pretty laudatory towards him. What was it that changed? I know the issues that you were most vocal about early on were fracking and the SAFE Act. Was it just those two issues or was there more to it? What caused you to sort of, I hate to put it this way, but to turn on Andrew Cuomo?
1: No, that's an accurate description. I was with Andrew Cuomo to the extent that I felt Cuomo good for the changes that New York needed. I mean, New York is a dying state. It was dying 10 years ago or 11 years ago when he came in, driving away residents of upstate New York, a declining quality of life in New York City, a business hostile atmosphere, the likes of which other than California, I don't think you could find in this country. Andrew Cuomo promised to reverse all that. And the background with Andrew Cuomo was the disaster of Elliot Spitzer, the incompetence of David Patterson, and the failures of George Pataki and three other governors to deliver on what he promised to do. Andrew Cuomo said he was a moderate Democrat who was going to turn New York around. I thought that was a wonderful message he was delivering. It wasn't just about fracking, which could have been a, a wonderful benefit to the southern tier of New York, which is the poorest part of the state as a region wasn't about the SAFE Act because that, to me, was just an example of Andrew Cuomo's lying because he had assured me he wasn't going to war on the Second Amendment in New York. And then he was an opportunist and did that. But what it was about could be summed up in, the, in his turn, Frank, in late 2011, in his first year, in the wake of the Occupy Wall Street movement that led him to abandon his promised commitment, to lower taxes in New York, turn the state around as a business-friendly state, help residents who were struggling with the high tax burden that we have in New York, which outside of New York City, a lot of people don't realize how high the taxes are. They're the highest not only in the nation, but they're just extraordinarily um, confiscatory for many middle-class people who can't afford to pay property taxes and gasoline taxes and other taxes. So, Bottom line is, Andrew Cuomo got frightened by the Occupy Wall Street movement. He then got frightened by Bobby Kennedy, his former brother in law, and the environmental activists on the uh, issue of, uh, of uh, fracking for natural gas. And he became a different person. I mean, I watched it happen. So that was the reason that there was this kind of turnaround on my part in covering him. But it was based on the substance of his. Uh, policies where he abandoned the promises of his election in 2010.
0: I think you did a great job comparing and contrasting the the ideology, the skills, the talents of Mario and Andrew Cuomo. Do you think the way that Andrew Cuomo's tenure for governor ended, largely in disgrace and a, a stone's throw of being charged with a crime, do you think that that legacy, which I think in spite of whatever accomplishments that Andrew Cuomo had, will now be viewed as negatively throughout the future of... Of, uh, of New York politics, do you think Andrew's misdeeds will have a negative effect on Mario Cuomo's legacy as governor?
1: I think it will, and I think it already has. I think, this, I have to put it in historical uh, context, Andrew Cuomo's resignation as governor is really unprecedented. and To resign in the face of the scandals that he resigned in the face of, and the virtual certainty of impeachment which has only happened once before with William Sulzer in 1913 in New York, uh, has badly damaged with the younger people in particular, the Cuomo name and legacy, and the uh, outrageous allegations against him, whether it's uh, 10 or 12 women claiming he was sexually harassing them or the responsibility for the death of thousands of seniors in nursing homes, using his public office to make $5 million and doing it on the sly, and maybe illegally using state personnel to help him do that, none of this has a precedent in New York history. So I think the Cuomo name is irretrievably damaged, and that includes Mario. And Andrew Cuomo himself will be remembered for many, many decades as the embodiment of the decline of equality of New York politicians.
0: Uh, More than 10 years ago, the New York Times did a profile on you. uh, Very interesting, pretty complimentary. But they quoted Mario Cuomo, who was still alive at the time, And he seemed to relish telling the Times this story of when the journalists played a baseball game against Mario (laughs) Cuomo and his staff. And he seemed to really enjoy telling a story about you dropping a ball or misplaying a ball uh, that uh, allowed the the Cuomo team— to win. Uh, I'm wondering if you can add a little insight into exactly what happened with the game. Was Mario (laughs) Cuomo's reflection accurate? How did that game come to be, and what happened? Well,
1: it used to be traditional for the LCA, the Legislative Correspondence Association, a group of journalists who cover state government, to be pretty friendly at times with uh, the governor and his staff. The governor traditionally holds a party for the LCA every year, and we used to play basketball games, softball games, even football at times, with going way back to Hugh Carey, we played flag football. So there was this game. This was the big game. It, much to my uh, disappointment, it was being played late in the evening, and it was dark, and I don't have great eyesight. Mm. I was in uh, right field, I believe, and bas- bases were loaded. We were ahead, I think, by one or two points, and there is no doubt that a ball was hit to me, and because of the darkness, I had trouble seeing it, and um actually i was distracted too by something but that's no excuse and the ball did go under my legs but here's a kicker fun part of the story after the game and needless to say i felt terrible about what happened after the game we were invited back to the pool house at the governor's mansion for an award ceremony right and guess that the award was that was given to me mario cuomo himself gave me the award as the most valuable player for his team, <laughs> <laughs> talk about humiliation. Thankfully, I won awards for good journalism and only won the one bad award for a bad softball game. But it's a true story.
0: That is that's terrific. You alluded to the uh, challenges that Governor Pataki faced. Uh, it, it's difficult to imagine now with the Democrats controlling a supermajority in both legislatures both houses of the legislature, and. All of the statewide offices, but there was a time when Republicans seemed to control everything in state government. They controlled the state Senate. They controlled the mayoralty in New York. They controlled the governor's mansion, one of the two U.S. Senate seats, and the attorney general's seat. Uh, They uh, controlled all but one or two of the state offices. Do you yes. think the failures of Republican leadership in New York State, including by Governor Pataki, might have led to what came afterwards—the dominance that we're now seeing by the Democrats in state government?
1: By the way, let me compliment you on your memory on—you uh, know—the the tremendous power at one time that uh, Republicans had in New York, and he did uh, tick off accurately all the offices that they held. Well, look. Uh, there are a couple of uh, several factors involved. One of the biggest one is a demographic factor. A lot of the Republican voters who elected Rudy Giuliani and, and Bloomberg, who supported George Pataki, have either died off or moved out of state. And of course, we know upstate has continued the massive loss of population. And upstate used to be the Republican base. So the shift in the alliances, the shift in uh, demographics, the shift in enrollments has been profound. Added to that, though, uh, George Pataki came into office promising to be a conservative Republican. When he left, he was indistinguishable from a liberal Democrat on most issues. In fact, one study that was done by the Empire Center found that uh, George Pataki was spending at a higher level than Mario Cuomo ever did in his final four years. Uh, Pataki also uh, double-crossed many Republicans. Joe Bruno, you remember, as a Senate majority leader, was a pretty conservative, if not very conservative Republican. He tried to change a lot of things, in my view, for the better, and he was double-crossed by Pataki. Pataki did that back in 1997, 1998, in order to try to help then-U.S. Senator Al D'Amato survive in the face of a challenge from Chuck Schumer. And D'Amato did not survive. D'Amato was a tremendous fundraiser for the New York State Republicans, The loss of the motto, and then there's some uh, gradual evolution of George Pataki into in being indistinguishable from many liberal Democrats, I think, were the contributing, were the manifestations mm. of what you were describing. But the bottom line was that the change in population in New York, I think, was a very big factor.
0: Do you see, assuming Andrew Cuomo does not run as a third-party candidate, Do you see any scenario in which the general election can be competitive this year for governor?
1: I do. I think that there is a chance for Republicans, and I think Lee Zeldin, who I'm personally supporting, uh, has has the best chance to be the Republican uh, victor as governor uh, this year. But you put together a combination of factors, whether it's the very severe crime problem in New York, the unpopularity of Democrats not just in New York but nationally, Uh, Some of the um, uh, school reform movements and the direction they're taking, the anger over uh, masking of young children in New York City. There are so many issues. The uh, fact that uh, Kathy Hochul, who's virtually certain to be the Democratic nominee, is really unknown in New York City and hasn't exactly chalked up a stellar record. I think there's an outside chance for someone like Lee Zeldin, who will be well-funded, by the way. And this is going to be a big Republican year. There is a chance for Republicans to take back some seats in the Senate. I don't think they can take the majority, but they could end the veto-proof majority that the Democrats have right now. And I think they could win statewide office for governor.
0: Uh, any thoughts? You remember what a uh, what an ordeal it was sitting through late budget after late budget. We just finally passed the budget in New York this time around. There's a number of controversial aspects uh, to it, uh, and now you know it's it's really less of a budget and more of an omnibus policy making document. But there's been a lot of controversy about the funding for health care for illegal aliens. There's been a lot of con- uh, f- uh, controversy over the funding for the New Buffalo Bills Stadium. Generally. I know maybe you don't follow the budget process as closely as you did when you were the state editor of The Post or doing the daily radio show. Any thoughts on this year's budget and how it shaped out?
1: Well, I did try to follow it pretty closely. And my thoughts are, it's business as usual. Uh, Kathy Hochul, the governor who took over, she was lieutenant governor, took over for Andrew Cuomo promised reforms. There are no reforms whatsoever. Uh, Not just the biggest spending ever, but a blowout spending budget using federal monies that are one-time allocations that's going to leave New York in a hole. Kathy Hochul only cares about winning election on her own and surviving the Democratic primary. The legislative leaders are the most uh, mediocre leaders that I've ever seen in my 40-some years total state government, um, whether... You know, it's Carl Hasty or, or Andrew Cousins. They seem more control, concerned about criminals in New York than they do legal taxpayers in New York. So I think it's a horrendous budget, worse than anyone could have imagined. The very good Wall Street Journal editorial, been, and I think The Post did it too, very good editorials on this. It's just disappointing because it means more problems down the road, learning no lessons from the past, Frank. They just make this state. More and more hostile, not just to businesses, but to wealthy people who are moving in droves to Florida. I have a place down in Florida. It's Boomtown, USA, where I am down in Florida, and it's going to continue that way.
0: I, you know, people may be surprised listening to your commentary on everything from the cost of living to uh, energy to guns. But uh, in your youth, you know, you you had some left of center leanings. I, I know you were involved in the anti-atomic bomb movement. You were uh, co-chairman of the core chapter at uh, Long Island University and even at one time the leader of a, a young socialist club. I'm wondering if you could... Talk a little bit about your evolution from somebody that would be left of center to someone that's one of the most articulate voices for the problems of leftist extremism these days.
1: Well, you know, I'm reading a new book by David Mamet, the political, uh, one of the uh, famous Pulitzer Prize winning playwright. and He grew up in Chicago, was what was known as a red diaper baby. And I grew up in the Bronx and uh, did hang around with serious leftists, as you touched on, including members of the Communist Party. So I was uh, oriented, obviously, to the left as a college student and grad student. I even headed two SDS chapters. I don't know what that was, students for a democratic society, a left-wing group. But, uh, you know, it's a classic case in, in my case. First of all, I was somebody who was always open-minded. I tried to understand what was going on. But the bottom line is when I got out into the real world, And journalism back then especially, but today too, I'm sure, is a wonderful way to learn about the real world. The more I kind of bumped up against a lot of the assumptions I had about the nature of our society, the more I modified my views. And I grew up at a time when the civil rights movement was critical I mean, it was a heroic movement. The Vietnam War was raging. The concern about uh, nuclear warfare, very real. I'm sure you remember some of that as well. But it was gradually, as a journalist, as I learned how government functioned at the lowest level. I didn't start out covering high-level state government or national government. I covered school boards. I covered planning boards, little towns and villages. I liked the people I was meeting. I, knew, I learned they were sincere. I thought the assumptions about evil capitalism when I see these local companies providing jobs for people were stupid. I got to know police officers and Uh, uh, correction officers and, you know, nice people trying to have families and do their jobs. So over the years, I moderated. But at the state capitol, when I learned about what politicians were really like at a pretty high level, and back then the likes of Hugh Carey and Mario Cuomo were considered presidential timber, and I saw how their policies were hurting things. These were liberal Democrats. And as I got to know Republicans, and growing up in the Bronx, there weren't too many of them, but as I got to know them, I found Republicans to be, frankly, nicer people, more honest people, more sincere, and Democrats to be kind of calculating demagogues. And I got to know people on both sides very, very well. And I found that the Republicans, I thought, were much more realistic and concerned about the everyday lives of people, much more so than Democrats who were oriented to giving away things all the time, spending our money and on money that uh, taking money that people couldn't afford and giving it to people oftentimes who didn't deserve that money. And I saw the culture of dependence explode in New York. I mean, New York government, Frank, is controlled by labor unions and special interest pleaders, uh, hospitals, healthcare industry, the healthcare workers' unions, the teachers' unions. Our government in Albany is in the possession of special interests who feed off it like parasites on a dying body and that metaphor which is pretty harsh i think is nevertheless accurate for what we see in new york today
0: Let, lastly fred i know you spent a good portion of your life here in new york growing up in the bronx and then spending so many years working in the capital region you mentioned that you have a place in florida now and you spend a lot of time down there These days, and I hear the way that you describe life in Florida, and it almost sounds like, um, you know, comparing East and West Berlin, a land of freedom versus a land of uh, oppression. Do you view yourself still as a New Yorker or have you come to view yourself as a Floridian as so many former New Yorkers, including a lot of listeners to this show, have come to view themselves?
1: Well, let me just give you just a quick uh, fact uh, that illustrates why I no longer think of myself as a New Yorker and feel that New York is on a terminal track to destruction. Florida has two million more people now than New York. I mean, New York used to be the biggest state in the nation. And we slipped into California, Texas, and then Florida about four years ago. Two million more people in Florida than New York. Yet Florida's state budget is half the size of New York's. And you see it and feel it throughout Florida, small businesses all over the place, people who are thriving, more work than one can imagine, happier people, and no sense that government is intruding in your lives the way it does in New York. So to answer your question, I'm not quite a Floridian fully yet, but I feel that I'm no longer a New Yorker. And I say that with much regret, because I used Mm. to be proud to be from New York, but I'm not any longer.
0: Yeah, until you are doing the early bird blue plate special on a daily basis, I don't know that you can ever <laughs> fully wear that label as Floridian. Fred, I appreciate you being so generous with your time at such an odd hour, and uh, I'll look forward to our next conversation.
1: Greg, and I appreciate what you do at such an odd hour. You do it excellently. The knowledge is important. And I'm sure your listeners fully appreciate it. So thanks for having me on.
0: Thank you. Very kind. The great Frederick Udicker. And uh, we miss his voice on the radio. That is for sure. Irrespective of your politics, is certainly a uh, great radio talent, uh, the likes of which uh, doesn't come along often. If you want to comment on any portion of our discussion, you're welcome to give me a call. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead.